Oncology Systems Limited are the leading provider of radiotherapy ancillary equipment in the UK and Ireland. Serving the community for over 22 years, we pride ourselves on exceptional service and quality products. Please take a moment to visit our website www.osl.uk.com and take a look at our product lines, which include macromedics for patient immobilisation and IB dosimetry for all your radiotherapy quality assurance needs. We are more than happy to take your questions, so please do get in touch via our website or email inquiry at osl.uk.com and one of our specialist team will be available to assist you. Hello everyone, welcome to Radjet. We're at UKO Liverpool. My name's Damon Jokansen and I'm joined by my co-host Joe McNamara. Hi everyone. So we've got another wonderful guest. Would you like to introduce yourself please? Uh, my name is Elizabeth Joyce, but uh, please call me Lizzie. No one ever calls me Elizabeth. Um, I'm a therapeutic radiographer, uh, split between the Royal Marsden at Chelsea and the Royal Marsden at Sutton. They're working in a research and clinical position. So that sounds interesting in itself, research and clinical position. Not many people necessarily get to have a dedicated day specifically to research. Can you tell us a little bit more about kind of your roles and how you manage having kind of two split How to manage is a yeah. lovely question. <laughs> So um, I am normally on a Tuesday, which is quite nice. Um, I'm funded under Helen McNair's grant to work one day a week on her big NIHR project on making real-time adaptive radiotherapy possible. So once a week, I'm normally trek up to Sutton. It's not really a trek. I am actually closer to Sutton than I am Chelsea. Um, and yeah, we I've had so many like wonderful opportunities to do that. I've had a chance to run focus groups for uh, radiographers um, and then other AHPs and patients, which was really exciting. Because I feel like a lot of the time, so much of our research is coming from an AHP like point of view and perspective where it's wonderful to interview patients um, because they, they tell their story. And it's so important because that's where we come up with changing questionnaires where you know we might ask certain things that patients will be like, oh, you asked me if I was cold on the first day. Did you give them a blanket on the second day? It's really lovely and to hear patients' journeys, especially, you know, especially I started this role about four or five months before the pandemic, um, actually hearing patients, their, their journey through that has been something else which is absolutely incredible um, and I've also had the opportunity to get involved in lots of different uh, research sort of opportunities uh, I worked with a got to work with a like Royal College of Art student in creating like a tactile sensory like anti-anxiety piece of equipment which I never could have ever seen myself doing you know I coming into sort of radiography you think of yourself as a, a numbers person and I always favoured quantitative and I've been able to do so much qualitative and like beyond that like I've uh, presented now twice at Estro I've been able to come up here with a poster it's just all these skills that have led to really really good opportunities within that one day a week to then um, come back and manage a treatment machine for the other four days which is you know that brings all of its joys itself but yeah it's, it's very nice to have that dedicated day and work on such a sort of up and coming and you know adaptive radiotherapy on MR Linac or on a C-arm Linac is so sort of hot on the press it's really cool to be involved in something like that at the moment. I love therapeutic radiographers going, no I want to do that, I want to do that. When you were training and studying, did you, were you showcased all the different roles and research and stuff like that? Oh absolutely not, like I, I, always, I always joke that I sort of fell into therapeutic radiography. I can distinctly remember being 17 in a school hall and them saying, you must pick something to do at uni. And you're like, okay, 
let's find something. And um, oddly enough, I never even considered diagnostic. It came down to whether I wanted to be a midwife or a therapeutic radiographer. And I did one day in the midwifery department and that was enough to turn me off for life. Um, and then obviously you have to do your obligatory one day placement. And actually I did mine in uh, the half a day in radiotherapy physics. And I can remember being blown away by isodosis and a plan and how that, you know, that somehow equates to treatment. Um, but at, like, you know, you, you start that role, you run you know you aim to run as a band five and I very much came in thinking like right well I'll get from work from a band five go up to six go up to seven I if somebody said to me you know oh you're going to research five six years after qualifying I would have been like absolutely not like that's something you get involved with so much later on um and then yeah it's just one of those things that you slowly you know once you start I'm very lucky to sort of be employed um at the Royal Mars and they've got the involvement with the ICR and the very sort of making you really conscious of being research aware and we've got lots of trials that actually I was like oh that's something I'd love to get involved with and then I sort of I think as a lot of us are sometimes we get to a bit where we think oh what do I want to do where do I want to go and this job just popped up and I thought well I'll give it a shot I'll uh, I'll try for it and um yeah they got an interview um and then I've been in this position now since 2019 November so yeah I, but I never felt like I was exposed to you have loads of guest lecturers come in and talk about all that they've done, but it's all that they've done with this incredible sort of plethora of experience. You never sort of think that, you know, a random job, job opportunity for one day a week will sort of lead to all of these great things. Did you think it's more when you, were, when you saw these guest lecturers is that you watch them, they have 20, 30 years of experience, and you think that's only when you can do it, it's not as like a band five. So I think when I've been a band five, they just said, no, all you do is true, that's it. You oh yeah, band five, you run in the room, mm-hmm. you know. Well, I mean, we've got students now who are already in part of research before even qualifying. Oh, and yeah. They're publishing, they're presenting, and yeah, it's interesting. Which is amazing. I've, I've had a chance here to meet up with so many uh, diagnostic and therapeutic students. Um, and to be like, I never would have thought of going to something like this as a student. Like, I think I may have been aware, maybe through the other radiographers in the department, you know, in your training. and. But it's, it's incredible to see so many and so many actively involved in being like, oh, I'd love, you know, I'd love to catch up because I want to pick your brains over this because I'm doing this. And I think that, that's incredible, that whole new wave of, of students. It's, it's amazing. You know, it's really interesting because when I was training, conferences as a student were where we had our best conversations with, with qualified staff. So it's really interesting that obviously something has happened. And I wonder whether it is the cost and accessibility of conferences that may be stopped students attending and then now there's as a result of covid and the fact that maybe things were online and accessible and and then following on from that they may have visited a conference that was digital and then thought actually this year i really enjoyed that experience i am going to go face to face and but it is interesting because hearing you guys and your experience of training and going as a student i would come to a conference i was at all the conferences (laughs) like i loved it like absolutely loved it but it's interesting how things have changed. It's obviously come full circle now, having that opportunity. In terms of your role, mm. you kind of said it was just by appointment that you maybe got that role and got interested yeah. in it. But did you have an interest in research? You know, what what qualifications or what interest did you have that allowed you to get that job? 
I think I was quite lucky. Um, I went to City University and at the time one of the lecturers was doing their PhD um, and he was very pro being like, come and get involved. And it's, it's great when you actually go to a, a campus uni because you can... Uh, not the city was but there was always always so many things being like oh do you want to participate in this do you want to be in this and it, it was great and then I remember one of the first things um, I think I'd been been there maybe sort of a year um, and uh, one of my colleagues was running the uh, traffic light protocol for uh, Gynae for cervix and she uh, sent out an email saying you had to do so many workbooks blah 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 um, and I remember at the time, like, I was still waiting to get signed off. And I was so, I mean, she'll find this funny. I was so jealous. I was like, oh, I can't, I can't do it. But then um, one, one day, they were, uh, it was a big sort of debate over, we wanted to collect some five-fraction palliative data. And they were like, who will sit down and do this? And uh, my line manager was like, Lizzie will sit down and do this. Um, and I did, and I, I loved it. And then um, I think I obviously got through it quite quickly. They were quite shocked. And then I got... Uh, I won't say lumbered, then I got a load of lovely saver data to have a look with and actually I realised that I really enjoyed going through that data because it, it proved something, you had something at the end, it was great to see that sort of result. You get excited part way through, don't yeah, you? Yeah, you do. You're like, I can see what's happening to the data. Oh, I can see. Um, but like, it was really, 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 really exciting. Um, and then, like I said, I was sort of a bit, a bit of a crossroads. Um, I was, at my time, I had just finished quite a long rotation in brachytherapy, and there was talks, as there always is, of, you know, Pan 7, uh, like, solely in brachy. Um, and I thought, oh, I re I'd really been like, was like, this is what I'd like to do. And then the, this uh, research in adaptive radiotherapy came up, and I thought, well, I've just done a load on, a load of sort of uh, analysing some Sabre data. Um, and I knew that the MR Linux had been up and running for a little bit at Sutton. And I thought, this is, this is quite interesting. And I remember at the time, you know, being a little bit younger, being, thinking of it as quite a philosophical moment, of being like, I'm going to say goodbye to this non-existent job that had no funding, and it was in the pipeline, um, to then it, it accept this uh, position. And from, like, it was full on from the get-go. I think I'd, we'd interviewed, very, very luckily, then I got the position, and then it was like, we're sending you on these courses, um, we want to set you up on this, and I hadn't expected to to get it. I thought I'll just I'll just go for it. I'll just try, because um, I was on holiday, and I remember being like, "Oh, I'm I'm really sorry, I'm away. I didn't expect to start this soon." And Doctor McNair was like, "We want to get going with this." And then straight from that, like two weeks later, we were up at the Christie doing a focus group, and then it went full on from there. And we went to uh, some courses, and then we were getting really excited to do other focus group. Um, there was one at the MR Consortium, and then COVID hit, and it was like. Um, so there was a bit of it, obviously, all research sort of slowly stopped. But actually, I think the benefit for me was having one day a week was then we'd actually managed to, just as the pandemic was sort of closing in before the lockdown, we'd had all of our qualitative data. So I was able to sit one day a week on a Tuesday at home and then just get this through. And then that was the results we first presented at Estro and Radiography. But like it was that spur of a moment being like, I'll just, I'll just go for it. Like, what, what can go wrong? Um, what have I got to lose? And then, um, yeah, it's been great. Can you tell us more about adaptive radiotherapy? So you might have students or junior members of staff that maybe don't really know or appreciate what it is. So how would you explain it? So I feel like with adaptive radiotherapy, we're all very, like, um, actually, if anybody can log on for on Nucro, um Alex Dunlop did a wonderful one on us. So I think we think of our standard radiotherapy is we take a CT scan and that could be like on day zero. 
and then by the time planning comes up we may then rock up for day one which could be anything from you know for a radical from like day 10 to day 21 and we will treat based on that everything is going to be the same on day zero as if every patient has lived their day exactly the same for those three Eden weeks. Eden the same thing, the temperature has not changed, they've drank their perfect litre of water and it will be fine. Um, and then we'll treat that and I think, you know, um, everyone who would have been in that scenario being like, my bladder is just too big today or it is too small or there's a bit of gas here or the PTV is slightly over because the rotation has changed slightly because of patient issues and we've got a plan that will you know will account for that sometimes we're like well we might have to take them off the bed we may have to restart all of these mobilization procedures but um you know and then that's sort of where adaptive comes in so obviously there's many forms of adaptive most people participate in an offline adaptive you know we've all seen them with a week five or six of a head and neck coming towards the end a lot of weight loss and we may do a plan revision and then we may be like actually it's, it's okay and we may dose adjust sort of or plan adjust for things like that and then quite a few of us might be doing some online adaptive with uh, making the decision if we're like going to do plan of the day for bladder I know lots of centers are doing with cervix and um, you know and that's all great because I feel like we're in such a unique position um, especially therapeutic rad sort of where we have so much soft tissue data now. We know we, we XVI, we cone beam, um, and we, sh you know, sometimes we'll do a bone match, but we can do so much more. So those daily sort of online making a decision is great. And then we have so much more now of these advanced techniques coming through and advanced uh, CR Linux, which can, brings into those daily adaptive ones where, you know, you are, you've had your reference scan on day zero, and now we are day between day 10 and day 21, and everything's changed. So let's do something about that let's make a plan that suits the patient that day and um, so a lot of the work that we've been doing is on the MR Linux so that will be taking that reference MR scan recontouring replanning and then delivering a brand new plan based on the patient anatomies that that day and I think like you know that's incredible now that we can do that when you know when we started training and you know you'd have your one plan will fit this patient for four to six weeks of radiotherapy and we know that's just not true so adaption really brings in that okay so my bladder is 50 percent today so i'm going to redraw my volumes and actually the bowel you know let's look at the what the bowel is receiving and that's okay so let's proceed with treatment or we might do it the same day and actually be like well no the bladder is too small because that bowel dose is too high like i think it's that real now sort of doing sort of giving that best dose that we can with everything available and ad adapting the plan based on the daily variations of the patient. I suppose one thing is that it takes longer, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I think, it's yeah. Things, it's the little thing. It's the little thing. I think, you know, on sort of using online, like plan of the day is great on a CR Linac and it's nice to see so many centres, um, especially through like the Rad Special Interest Group for Research, it's lovely to see so many uh, centres taken on plan of the day and that's a great you know great start for things uh, like on a CR Linac and that's great and then uh, looking at the MR Linac it's it's amazing sort of because I feel like I'm just a, like on the outside looking at this and even now like you know radiographers leading research to reduce treatment times down and how some of those can be delivered in half hour like you know that are still are still great um, I just no, it takes far too long, can't do that. Yeah. And it is, isn't it? Everything is a 
and it's like when we moved to daily cone beam and people were like it's so much longer than a kv pair and now we're like oh i'm not kv pairing that let's get a nice soft tissue analysis but, before but we treat you, get, you see more you see like, more yeah daily imaging I understand you're getting patients getting more dose that's accounted for, I guess it takes longer, but you're always going to be seeing what you need to see, so why wouldn't you do it? And if we can make differences based on that daily, then... Even if it's a millimetre change, it's worth that millimetre, because a patient, if you tell them, oh, we didn't do that millimetre check, they're so wise. Yeah, really, you've been in toll for three days, you yeah, know, systematic is good, but it's that. I also think just linking more with long term. Yes. Because curing patients much more than they've ever had done Yeah. Ethically and morally, there are some big conversations that have to be had as to who is eligible and who gets prioritised. Um, and obviously, it's, we would love everyone to get treatment over maybe developing different technologies. Yeah, I wouldn't want to make that yeah. decision. Yeah. I like just being at the buttons, being like, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> so, in terms of kind of the process, how long does the adaptive rate therapy take? I think it, de- it very much depends as well, like uh, whether you are new setting up that process or, or whether you're like very well established in that process. And then within the MR Linux sort of pathways, there's different ones that you can do based on the site and technique. Um, and then just ba- you know based as well on how many of these have you done, what is the evidence saying, and where are we moving forward with that. Um, so I think like it, I wouldn't want to give a number to it. Um, but I remember when you know very lucky to have an MR Linac at the site and when we, you know you're invited to sort of see with the you know live viewing and things like that you know when it first started because it's that whole MDT pathway which is another thing to sort of get used to we're used to very much just sitting two rads at a terminal and then when you've got two rads potentially two physicists a clinician and then going back to the rads that's a whole sort of process but like I said the more the more streamlines the more confidence the competencies that then you can develop working sort of within that educational framework you can begin to sort of reduce those down um, but I like I went and saw uh, one of the MR Linac treatments for a very well established pathway and it was 26 minutes I've had before a saver patient when we've been on the bed being like actually you know especially like if it's a difficult area somewhere like a scapula where actually we've decided then on a CBCT that that degree or the role is completely out of our tolerances and we'll reset up and we've had savers on the bed that sort of length of time but it is all about obviously like you know lot like the Christie uh, as Martin as I've said are now becoming well established but it's incredible when you look to European com- like countries who are cracking on and delivering these completely therapeutic radiography led which is absolutely amazing and their treatment times are even less so it's definitely getting decreasing, but I wouldn't want to put a specific time on it <laughs> without consulting the higher-ups. <laughs> I think the only patient listening is good to know that, although we're trying to cut treatment time down, it's still the safe, accurate, like perfect treatment. But yeah. from a workforce perspective, Linux are very busy, and the more people we can give adaptive the better, but as I said, it takes time. It takes time. As you said, 
IMRT takes time, when Combeam came first came in, it takes time. It's just hoping that then, as we become more competent, that confidence increases, and it's all about working within that education framework. And then, once we're all happy with that, then you notice that times decrease and patient throughput increases. So, yeah. so based on what you've done so far in your research, can you give us any integrity? Anything I want. Well, I want to say like watch this space as right, I've just okay, resubmitted <laughs> something for radiography uh, with revisions. Um, but I, what is quite exciting is um, I've managed to work on on a training needs analysis for therapeutic radiographers. Which, if there's anybody listening who did that, thank you very much. Because if you answered every question, it was 121 questions. Wow. Um, but that's, I'm a, that's an ask, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely no names. Um, <laughs> but it worked out as roughly 8% of the available workforce, and that is a really interesting roller coaster of data looking at um, what you know. I you just asked a few of your like, what do you do on your job does your role you know what is your job title that's a really interesting oh, one with therapeutic on radiographer should be in there um, and as well like um, are you involved in verifying the patient's position and if so with which modality do you have a rotation through planning endosymmetry uh, are you able to plan is it VS can you do conformal can you do IMRT can you do adaptive do you refer patients? Can you consent patients? It's a really sort of you know interesting uh, bit of work, and hopefully that will go through. Great! I really did. I really enjoy it. Um, yeah, um, it's a. Obviously, I can't say too much. I feel like this is an exclusive. It's really exciting, um, but it's a. I'm very passionate about this piece of work, um, mainly because it, it is asking the um, HCPC's code of proficiency and how many of them are our planning, our setting up. So it's uh, so it's very interesting. Okay, this is again <laughs> a controversial one. Should we be split from diagnostic radiographers in terms of HCPC? Because I think around the proficiency, so I reviewed them, had a look at what they had proposed initially, and I just couldn't see and I'm yet to, you know, I'm mm. waiting with bated breath <laughs> for them to be published. But I don't know how, unless it's just really broad, how they can almost future-proof what is required in terms of a standard of proficiency for therapeutic and diagnostic yeah, I'm going to buy into the controversial debate. Um, I totally agree. I feel like it's very much, you know, if you think now, even at a uh, university course, you have certain common modules, which is normally around radiation protection in third, or it might be statistics in second year. In third year, it might be the starting of your research project. But when you look at the, the professions now, I've you know still very good friends with my diagnostic colleagues that I trained with. Some, I think the funniest one is when you talk to a diagnostic radiographer about doses, because you'll be like, oh, yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a sabre. You know, it's over five gray per fraction, and you'll just watch their face absolutely drop, and you'll be like, yeah, I'm taking like a 16 centimeter cone beam every day. Like, it, it's that, their face will drop when we're like, but that is best practice. Like, um, so I think, you know, you've got elements of those, but as, like you said, with future proofing, being two very small AHP professions anyway and I think like we can all agree our role has changed as you know is when like I said when I first started I could never imagine things like this and I look at 
review radiographers, consultant radiographers in all areas, and that's just you know swayed on the therapeutic side. I don't know how much longer we can future-proof both as one. When you know there's been lovely diagnostic talks today about reporting and all of that, and I just think that's not anything element now of, of comparison. And there's a lovely one about a diagnostic radiographer being involved with the non-specific. Uh, cancer symptoms of that whole other pathway of setting up a you know referral diagnostic source setting that's absolutely incredible but now we're I think being so small and so niche we are now although we are branching out we are branching out very differently in the professions and actually advanced practice in therapeutic radiography is very different to the diagnostic world yeah and actually very different we are <laughs> Joe's just having a little dance. A little dance out. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I would say for us, like with review radiographer roles or site specialist roles, mm. yeah, what we do is, is different. So I agree. I think it should be different. I think there the, you go. the we could just should we just submit this the hot take in <laughs> to HDPC. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. We could probably spend hours chatting and talking and learning more. So we'll have to get you on for a full episode. Yeah, once you publish, it'll be interesting to find out. Oh yes, that was very exciting. Thank you for having me. Thank you.